0: My name is Frank, and uh, I have the distinction of being the oldest pastor in the Thrive Network, which uh, lets you know that we're all so young, which is a good thing. I want to thank you for coming out to our second night of Refocus. And if you were here last night or if you were streaming, I hope that you really got a sense or a a reminder of who Jesus is. Uh, If you're anything like me Uh, I like the Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and and heavy laden, and and I like that idea of a Jesus who is so comforting, and uh, unfortunately, I I find myself getting a little over-familiar with that Jesus, and forgetting that he also calls me, and all of us as well, to follow him, and if you're like me, that following means all the good stuff, and uh, not necessarily the hard stuff, the road where... We have to disassociate ourselves from those things that we really want to hold on to. And we really have to carry our crosses. And and the following him is not just a following in order to see him, which is a very important part of it. But knowing that that road that he went on, especially the cross, was a road of suffering. But all for the joy set before him. So. Uh, I reminded people last night that I met Daniel about a year and a half ago at a Young Adults Revival Night and appreciated the way he, he handled the Word of God and the way he spoke it with a sense of conviction that this is really God speaking to us and a real conviction that it's not just God speaking to the people back then, but it's God's desire to speak to his people today. So our prayer is that the Spirit fills him and fills this room and that Wherever the spirit is, there's freedom, as scripture says. And so my prayer is that today, as the spirit moves, that we can be free to return back to God, as he calls us, to amend our ways and be with him. Uh, Daniel studying at Moody, and uh, Daniel, you're, I'm going to invite you to come on up here and share God's word with us for the evening. Well,
1: good evening. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. It's so good to see so many people here on a Saturday night in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, who was not here last night? Okay, so a few of you. Well, welcome. It's uh, it's good to see your faces here tonight. Uh, Can we pray one more time? And, you know, I don't want to use this time as a transition period to the Word of God, but really ask God to speak to us. Really ask Him right now, as you're sitting in that chair, you're here already. And so just ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And we'll pray together in a moment. Lord, this is your house. We are your people. Forgive us, Lord, sometimes we tend to resist your word sometimes we come into your house with low expectation. But Lord, we know that when we come in humility, you are magnetized to our hearts. You are drawn to a people that are willing to humble themselves. And Lord, we want to do just that right now. We pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts and the knowledge of Jesus Christ Lord, that every person in this place would leave here with a greater desire and a greater love for their master. And Lord, as your word is spoken, let no man be seen. Lord, as your word is spoken, comfort those that need to be comforted, convict those that need to be convicted. But in the end, we're asking for change, we need change. And so we look to you in faith. We look to you in hope. We look to you in love. And we give you our hearts and we say, Lord, speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you tonight about a certain individual in the scriptures. This man was a hopeless case. This man was of rotten character and he had a reputation of deceptive habits. And if you study this man carefully, as the Bible reveals him, you will realize that there is no hopeless case. And that God, in His grace, is able to transform anybody. There's no pit too deep and there is no distance too far for the arm of the Lord to reach out and save. And this man, as he grew up, Over time experienced the blessing, power, presence, and faithfulness of God. In fact, in one of his moments with God, it has stood as a monumental example of how to grab a hold of God in desperate times through desperate prayer. This man, if you haven't figured out already, his name is Jacob. Oh, Jacob, he had some God stories. If you were to travel back and sit at Jacob's feet in Egypt as an old man, he would tell you some good stories. He would tell you about how he met God, wrestled with him throughout the night. He would tell you how God delivered him from his deceptive, even more deceptive uncle. He would tell you of how he should have been killed by his brother, but God intervened. He would tell you all these stories. And he would definitely tell you about the first time he met God. Because there's always something special about the first time time you encounter God and how he encountered God on his way to his uncle's home in a place called Bethel and he was so profoundly touched by the mercy, by the faithfulness, by the goodness of God that he responds in a vow and says, Lord, if you truly keep these things, I'll come back to this place and I'll build a shrine of worship. It was a vow of consecration. It was a vow of dedication. It was a vow of ultimate worship. It was a vow of long-term commitment to this God. And so many years pass by. Many years pass by. And God more than once reminds Jacob of that vow that he made when he first met him. And Jacob responds... By saying, I have to go back to Bethel. Up to this point now, he's married, he has children, he's prosperous. And he is headed towards back to Bethel in order for him to fulfill the vow that he made to his God. And as he journeys towards Bethel, something happens. What happened? Life happened. Jacob is now a father. Jacob is now a husband of more than one wife. That's not New Testament stuff. Jacob has kids. Jacob has money and property and servants. And it doesn't tell us what exactly happened. But Jacob ends up not going to Bethel, but ends up parking in a place called Shechem. And he stays in Shechem when he was supposed to be in Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Bethel, in Jacob's case, signifies the presence of God. It signifies a nearness to God, a closeness to God. It signifies that first love relationship with God. And Jacob was supposed to build an altar there. That altar represents sacrifice. It represents commitment. It it represents consecration. This is what Jacob was was supposed to be in Bethel. But he finds himself in Shechem. And he stays there for many years. And Bethel ended up becoming a past memory and no longer a present memory. Reality. So what happens in Shechem? Genesis 34 tells us, but that's not our text. Genesis 34 tells us that Jacob over time ends up becoming spiritually numb. His family and family worship has now become disconnected concerning worship and sacrifice and love towards their father's God. In fact, there's chaos in the home and there's no sense of his presence and his leadership and him being the center of this household. In fact, if you read Genesis 34 very carefully, you will notice one detail. God is not mentioned even once in that entire chapter. He was supposed to be in Bethel. But he found himself in Shechem. And Jacob was still a child of God. Jacob was still a child of God, but he was not walking in the fullness of what God wanted him to walk in. I want to begin by asking you a question tonight. Are you in Shechem? Or are you in Bethel? Are you walking in the reality of the nearness and the closeness of God like the first time you met Jesus? Or have you, like Jacob, over time allowed life to sweep you away from that place? And if you are in Shechem, this message is for you. If you are finding yourself in that place and you don't need to ask yourself too many questions, you know right now, if you were to ask yourself that question and just evaluate your life, you would know it's not the same. And you probably have amazing testimonies of how God has touched you and revealed Himself, and testimonies throughout your life as you walk near to Jesus, how He has delivered you, how He has opened doors for you, how He has healed you, how He has done so many things. But now, Bethel is just a past memory. And I hear this, unfortunately, from so many parents, even. Being in the faith for five years and doing things like this, I would usually have conversation with parents afterwards and they would look at me and say these words and they'd break my heart, really. Something along the lines of, I remember when I was your age. (laughs) I remember that passion you have. I remember loving Jesus. I seen you worshiping there. I remember when I was like that. And I step back in that moment and I look at them and in my mind I say, well, what happened? Is it God's will that you just step in a moment of that sweet love and adoration towards the Lord and then you just get normalized? You just let life take you away from that place? Is that God's will? Are you in Shechem tonight? Whether it's been a year or 10 years, this is for you, even if it's for one person tonight. If you are in Shechem, what do you do? Meet me in Genesis 35, please. Genesis 35, verse 1. If you find yourself in Shechem right now, if you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself not even remembering the last time you read your Bible, not the verse of the day on your app, I'm talking about really getting in the Word of God, really being in prayer, really being in touch with Him, really knowing that as you're walking throughout your day, the Lord is there, you're practicing His presence. If you do not remember when you've been in that place, there are certain principles in Jacob's life that we can glean from and respond to. The first thing we must understand, if we ever find ourselves in this place, or if you find yourself in this place tonight, the first thing you and I must understand is this, that we have to recognize that God is calling us back. The first thing we have to understand if we're in Shechem is that God is calling us back to Bethel. Look at verse 1 for me, with me, not for me. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so the first thing that God does in the midst of Jacob being in Shechem, in all the mess that he's in, in the spiritual dullness and dryness of not only his life, but his family's life, the first thing that God does is call him. And the first thing that you and I must understand is that God is calling us. Back to that place. And the first thing that God says is, I want you to arise because I remember when you made a vow to me. Hold on for a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You and I need to understand something about God. You believe that he's a person, right? We believe that he's a person. God remembers. God remembers. And where you might have forgotten, God remembers in great detail. He remembers when you met him. He remembers all the promises that you've made to him. He remembers all the vows that you've written in your journal. He remembers it all. And he takes those things very seriously. Any serious person in a serious relationship would. If you make promises to a person and that person truly loves you and there's that love relationship, those words have weight. They mean something. You hold on to those words. And God is no different. He remembers. He takes note as you sang those songs tonight. He was looking into your heart. And he was seeing if you really meant them, if I really meant them. And that's why Ecclesiastes 5 says, when you come into the house of God, don't rush with your steps. Don't even rush with your words. It's better for you not to make the vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Because God is in heaven and you are on earth and God keeps those things. He takes those things Very seriously. And so God is reminding Jacob, I remember what it was like when you were in Bethel and you first called to me, when you first worshiped me, when you first loved me. And I'm reminding you that I want you to go back to that place. Come back. It's not my will for you to stay in Shechem. It's my will for you to come to Bethel and not just come to Bethel, but to dwell in Bethel. and that We're going to come to that in the end. But I'm calling you back to Bethel. God remembers those times of intimacy that you had with Him. God remembers that time when you were alone in your room and it was just you and Him. God remembers when you couldn't wait for your shift to end so that you can drive right back to your room and read your Bible. Some of you know exactly what I'm saying. God remembers and He takes note of those things. And He's reminding Jacob here, get back to that place. And He says, arise, get up. That's implying that you're in a place that I don't want you to be in. Get back on your feet. You're on your face right now. You're on your back right now. And I'm telling you right now to get up and move forward. I don't care how long you've been in Shechem. It's time to get those feet going to get back to that place where it was just about you and me. Get back. Arise. Get up. And we have to understand, if you go home tonight, read Genesis 34. Jacob messed up royally. Jacob lost all sense of authority as a father. He had no sense of calling out to God in the midst of his troubles. He had no sense of the peace of God. He was so fearful of his circumstances. God, as I said before, was not even mentioned once in that entire chapter. But we have to understand this truth. No matter how much sin you are in right now. No matter how dull you are. It does not matter. God is calling you back. And when He calls us, He always does it out of love. Always. It is always motivated by love. Though it may be harsh if you read the prophets, though it may be very stern, it's always, always motivated by love. And we see that in Jeremiah chapter 2. When He rebukes the people of Israel, the entire nation, He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember what it was like when I first delivered you out of Egypt and how you loved me and how you clung to me. And he says the same thing if you fast forward all the way to Hosea chapter 2 where they are literally in spiritual adultery. They were prostituting themselves to other false gods. And you know what God says in Hosea 2.14? He says, I will allure her. And I will speak tenderly to her. And I will bring her back into the wilderness. Get this. So that she may speak to me as in the days of her youth. As in the days when she was delivered from the land of Egypt. So even God himself says, I'm going to speak tenderly to her. I'm going to woo her back into that place. So that she can speak to me the same way she spoke to me when I first saved her. This is the heart of our God. That the time when you first got saved and you had that explosion of love towards Jesus, you remember if you're truly born again. It was all about Jesus, was it not? Everything was about Jesus. Work was about Jesus. Driving was about Jesus. Doing groceries was about Jesus. Everything was a miracle to you. Every song, it doesn't matter if it was from the 70s or the newest release, you worshiped with all your heart because it was just about Jesus. Every message, every Sunday was for you. Even if you're a man and you went to a ladies' conference, it was for you. You just wanted to hear the word of God. You remember. And you prayed, it was effortless. You worshiped. You didn't care about who knew your voice and who heard you. It didn't matter. You had those butterfly feelings in your stomach about the Lord. And then life just got busy. You got that promotion. Married now, kids. And you're just surviving off a thread. It's just routine now. You're just here doing ministry. You're just here... Let's just do this thing. Let's just do this weekend. Let's just get it over with. What happened? The God that we worship tonight, the God that we're seeking tonight, the God that is hearing us tonight, do you think He's pleased with that? No. He's calling us back. But remember, He's doing it in love. He's wooing us now, even through His Word and saying, I'm calling you back to that place. I don't care how long you've been in Shechem. I don't care... What kind of dirt and mess you're in right now, I'm calling you back into the wilderness. And I want you to speak to me the same way you did before. The first thing we must realize if we're in Shechem, we must recognize that God is calling us. But secondly, we must remember ourselves. Look at verse 3 in the second part. Actually, let's just read the whole verse. Then let us arise, this is Jacob speaking, and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So now Jacob himself is motivated to go back to Bethel because he just took the time to remember those days and to remember the faithfulness of God even in the days where he was not connected to God. If anybody has a story of God's faithfulness despite faithlessness on our part, it's Jacob. He's been good to me even when I was terrible towards him. He's been faithful to me. He intervened even when I didn't ask him to intervene. And so Jacob himself is just meditating upon the goodness of God alone. And he's saying, I can't imagine not going to Bethel. I can't imagine not building an altar I can't imagine not consecrating myself. I can't imagine staying in this place called Shechem in spite of all that God has done for me up to this point in my life. So even now as you're sitting there, would you please, can we please just remember in our own lives how good God is and how He is worthy for us to come back to that place Oh, we should rejoice tonight that we're not worshiping some distant God that lashes out on us and says, look at you, you faithless servant. Can't even stay faithful for two months. What's wrong with you? I'm done with you. I'm not using you anymore. I'm moving on to the next person. That's not our God. Despite all the mess, despite the the length of our sin and how long we've been in it and the lukewarmness, God says, arise, arise. He's faithful. This might be a silly example, but it came to mind. I cannot drive without a GPS. I need a GPS all the time. And there's one thing I appreciate about my GPS, is that if I take a wrong turn, it's always faithful to tell me how to get back on track. Always. And it doesn't matter how far I go off the track, it will always show me how to get back. Always. And God is faithful, despite how far you go, to call you. And the thing about the GPS is it keeps telling you. Get on track. Take the next road. Take the next road. And God is the same. Stop resisting that. And so we must recognize, yes, God is calling us, but we must also remember ourselves. We must just meditate upon the goodness of God And let that stir us to say, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. We remember, but this is a crucial part. We don't just recognize God is calling us. We don't just remember ourselves, what God has done in our lives to allow to motivate us to get back to that place. No. There's one thing that Jacob does that is so crucial. He repents. He repents. Look at verse 2 with me. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with them, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So that I may make, rather, he goes on in verse 3, Then let us arise so that I may make an altar. So here's the understanding. He remembers, he recognizes rather that God is calling him. He remembers himself, the goodness of God. And those things, as we know in Romans, his kindness leads us to repentance. It is his goodness that woos us out of that place of complacency. And this is what he does. He says, It's time to clean up house. And so not only does he remember how good God is, he reevaluates his life and says, What are the things that I've allowed in my life to pull me away from God in the first place? And he realizes there's idols. And here's the truth about intimacy with God. If we want the presence of God, if we want the power of God, if we want sensitivity to his spirit, if we want the word of God to become alive to us, we cannot build an altar to God if we have idols at home. You can't. Never. God is a jealous God, he wants all of you. All of you. And so Jacob reevaluates his life, looks at his current situation he says we got some problems here we got some idols at home and we have to determine ourselves whether keeping these idols is worth forsaking that intimate relationship with God what is an idol that's a really important question is it not an idol is anything that you give more thought time devotion adoration to more than God That's an idol. And it can be as silly as Facebook because a lot of people spend more time on Facebook than God's book. And it can be as serious as a relationship with a spouse. You can idolize your husband. You can idolize your wife. You can idolize your education. You can idolize your car. Anything that you give more thought to, anything that you give more heart to, anything that you put above God is an idol, plain and simple. And Jacob has some idols at home. And he says, these got to go. It's not worth it. And we have to ask ourselves that. Is it really worth it? The idols that we have right now, the things that we pursue right now, that we love right now, does it even compare to that relationship with God? To that closeness to His presence? It's very simple math. Jeremiah 5 says... These sins, when he's talking to a backslidden nation, these sins sins have only kept good from you. So there's idols. And we as believers, not non-believers, we as believers have to be aware of allowing idols into our hearts. You know, we love 1 John, don't we, the epistle? Because it's a revelation that God is love. That we ought to love our, our brothers, we have to love, love, love. I love the love of God. We need the love of God. This is what makes God unique. He is love. And we quote that scripture all the time, but we don't quote the last verse of that epistle much, do we? In first John five twenty one. Little children, keep yourself from idols. What a way to end a letter. Keep yourself from idols. What idols are there in your life? It can be anything. It is frightening that so many things we are missing out on simply because we have these things that we treasure more than God. And they've slipped in, just like John warns us, They've, they've crept into your heart. You're more excited about the Chicago Cubs than you are about the book of Romans. What happened? You're more excited about fashion than about holiness. What happened? You spend more time on Netflix than on, my, on your knees in your room before me. What happened? And God is just there saying, arise. Do you remember? And we just have to be honest with ourselves like Jacob was honest with himself. He dare not thought that he can go to Bethel with idols at home. He knew better than that and we must know better than that too. He reevaluates himself. And in that place he says, "Let's clean up house, then we go to Bethel." We can't make that step into a deeper and greater intimacy with God if we're holding on to things that God hates. And it could be good things, but anything that we put above God is an idol. And God will not share us with anybody or anything. But there's something more specific about Jacob. There's something deeper. There's something that's so relevant even to us today. And I want to make this side note before we move on. Is that Jacob, as a father, and as a husband, as a man, realized that it was not just his duty to lead himself. It was his duty to lead his family. Jacob realized that he had a responsibility. And I'm going on a side note here because I'm speaking to a specific audience now. That he had a responsibility as a man, as a father, as a husband to lead his family. Now, please, I'm not married. I don't have kids either. I'm young, I understand that, and I want to approach you with with the utmost humility and humbleness. I do not stand on my own authority, I stand on the authority of the Word of God. And so right now, what I'm going to do is I'm pulling out that Timothy card, okay? Let no one despise you because of your youth, but set the believers an example, in speech, in love, in conduct, in faith, in impurity. I'm holding that up right now, because I'm going to say a few things that might offend some people, but that's okay, because it's the Word of God. What's a true man? Because right now, in this day, more than ever, we have a lot of boys that can simply shave. What's a true man? I'll tell you, it's not how much you can bench press. It's not how cool your car is. It's not how much money you make. It's not how athletic you are. The Bible says in Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We need men of God to arise in this day. I'm not talking about Christians. I'm not talking about churchgoers. I'm talking about men of God, men like David who seek after God, men like Enoch who walk with God, men like Samuel who are sensitive to the voice of God, men like Ezra who study the Word of God, men like Paul who says, I pummel my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified, men like Philip who whether waiting on tables or preaching to a crowd or preaching to one or raising up a godly family, does not care what God calls him to do. As long as he's pleasing the Lord, he will do it. And so I quote William Merrill tonight, Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. We need men of God to arise and to set the standard in the household. Men who pray... Men who are concerned about the spiritual condition of their home. It's not about toughness. It's about reflecting Christ as much as you can, that being your end goal. So men, I want to challenge you as a young man, not with my authority, not by my opinion, but simply by the Word of God. I want to challenge you with this question. What do you want to be remembered by? What do you want to be remembered for? By your family? By your co-workers? By God Himself? Young men, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to live this life? Listen, you don't have to pretend that you're playing war. You don't have to pretend that you're playing war on Xbox or PS3 or PS2, PS5. I don't know which one we're at right now. You don't have to pretend you're in a war. You're in a war. You're in a war. And we are wrestling against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And God is looking to recruit men in this day. So have done with lesser things. Grab a hold of God tonight and ask Him for an eternal perspective. Those that are married, those that are fathers, I cannot understand the responsibility that you might have, the pressure I can only imagine. But your family is counting on you. Your kids are counting on you. I'm sure your spouse is counting on you to be like Jacob and to take initiative and say, ask for me in my house, we're serving Jesus to clean up house if need be and Jacob himself made that decision despite all the mess he's been in despite all of that and he was remembered for it for generations to come you fast forward in this text you fast forward to the book of Joshua Joshua 24 verse 14 in that snippet where Joshua is now the leader of the people of Israel and he's about to bring him to the promised land and he turns around and says, Hey guys, I got some news before we go in. God has been faithful to us. And all the Israelites said, Amen. But listen, you got to make some choices. Either you're going to serve the gods that your father served beyond the river or you're going to serve the Lord. But let me tell you something. As for me and my house, we're serving Jesus. And what's significant about that statement, it is so close to what Jacob does here. In fact, he does it in the very same place. He does it in Shechem. And so here's a man, Jacob, who sets a standard, not knowing what his decision would do for generations to come, and neither will you when you get serious with God. You have no idea the impact that you can make for him. With the short Life, this window of opportunity that we have to glorify Christ. Don't waste your years. I'm not just speaking to men now, I'm speaking to everybody. You have no idea what the decisions you make tonight can impact for generations to come. I'm not trying to be conference hype type right now. It's true, it's biblical. And I even share this with our young adults. I love reading about old men, old godly men. Men who lived in the... 18th century men who lived in the early 1900s and I just study and I read about their life their life of integrity how they treated their wives how they looked towards ministry how they prayed how they sought the lost how they lived holy and as I'm reading these books I just thought to myself the other day even these men don't know that I'm reading about their lives I'm sure they didn't know one day somebody's going to read my life in 2017 a college student being inspired by my simple decisions to devote myself to Christ. And it just dawned on me, wow, how God can use your life, not only in your lifetime, but even when you step into eternity and time moves on, who knows what your life can impact for others. Is that not better than silly games? Is that not better than silly things we see on TV? I'm not against those things, but if you put those things above God, that's foolishness. So we must also repent. Recognize that God is calling us. Yes, remember what He's done in our lives. Yes, but let that move us to make action. We must repent. And that word, we've been talking about it this weekend. Repentance is not emotion, it's action. Repentance is not just feeling bad about our sin. It's the decision we make to completely forsake it. Feeling bad about our sin, that's conviction. Repentance is saying, I'm done with it, I'm moving the other way. And that's what he does here. He's not saying, you know, I've been a pretty bad guy these past few years. I've been Shechem. I should have been in Bethel. Let's go to Bethel. No, he says, time to clean up house. So he does that. He repents. But he does one more thing. He remains. Or at least he intends to. Look back at verse 1 with me. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and what? Dwell there. Dwell there. I'm not looking for you to visit Bethel. I'm looking for you to stay in Bethel. And that is the great challenge for all of us, whether in this weekend or any weekend or any conference, is to take what we've heard, to take those vows that we've made, and to bring it home and make it last. God's intention is not that we visit Bethel, that place of intimacy and closeness and first love relationship. He wants us to remain there. I want you to stay now. And to be very careful not to go back to that place called Shechem. I want you to stay in Bethel. I want you to stay in this place where you have that altar and you make that sacrifice to me and you worship me and you love me and we commune together. That's where I'm calling you, not just for a week, not just for a couple months, but I want you to dwell there. You know, we make this so complicated for some reason. Everybody wants to know the secret of how to stay on fire for God. There is no secret. Jesus made it so simple and so clear. Just abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, made this walk where we are completely dependent upon Him every single day. That's all this is. And that we remain... That's what it means to abide. We remain in Christ. We remain in fellowship. And the life that we have in us is simply the life that He gives to us. And that is found when we remain in Him. And if we, have, we don't have the time to go into that chapter, it simply looks like this. Every day I spend time with Jesus in His Word and in prayer. The secret's out. No, I'm being serious. We want ten steps to this and nine steps to that and five steps to this. It's simple. Meet with Him every day. Before anything, you open that word. Before anything, you get on your knees. Before anything, you just worship Him. Whether you feel like it or not, we have to adopt this mentality that He is the life source. That if we want to bear fruit, if we want to do things for Him, if we want to walk in the fullness of it, you must abide. I must abide. Well, I don't feel like reading my Bible today. Your life depends on it. It's your life source. You know, I don't feel like praying today. And we're all like that. We're all in the flesh. We have to be be honest. We get to those places sometimes. But if you really believe your life depends on it, you're going to do it. And I'm not going to go by what I feel. I'm going to know by what I know. And what I know is that He is the vine. And I must be supplied by the life and the sap from the vine to, to me in the branch to produce what I need to produce. Plain and simple. I'm sorry, I don't have anything else. I just got the Bible. That's as simple as it gets. Dwell in Bethel. Remain there. Don't get distracted. Don't let your prosperity, don't let your family even, don't let your ministry pull you away from that place. Is that not what he tells the church of Ephesus? You have all the doctrine. And if there was a church That was to be the exemplary church. It was the church of Ephesus. You have all the doctrine. You have the dream team, ministry team. You can spot a false teacher from a mile away. You have everything, but there's one thing I have against you. That first love is not there. And so I'm calling you to what? Remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first met me. When it's not about serving me, which that is important, but it was about just... Me, not about what you can do for me, just about knowing me and what I've already done for you. Get back to that place and stay in that place. We must recognize that God is calling us if we're in Shechem. He's saying, Arise, He's saying, Get back to that place. We must remember ourselves, what it was like. And if you can't remember what it was like, That's a dangerous thing. If you can't remember what it was like when you first met Jesus, if you can't remember a time where you loved him with everything in your heart, that's a dangerous thing. But when you remember and you look at yourself and evaluate your life and you realize, I know that it can be better than this. See, the interesting thing about Shechem was that it was in the land of Canaan, but it was not Bethel. It was not the fullness of what God wanted Jacob to walk in. Don't be content with where you are tonight. Believe in your heart that I want more of Jesus. I want more of Him. And I'm not going to be satisfied with where I'm at. And then we repent. We take the things out of our lives that are hindering that reality at any cost. We bury them, and we move on to Bethel. And once we get to Bethel, we remain there. We dwell there. I'm closing in a moment. What can you and I expect when we get back to Bethel? What can you and I expect when we make that decision to go back to that first love relationship, that first time when you met Jesus, the first time when you worshiped Him and loved Him and prayed? What can you expect? Well, look here in verse 8 with me. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan bakoth This is what we have to understand here. Because if you read the whole chapter, that's a random verse. It goes on to say that Jacob, yes, he repents. He goes back to Bethel. He builds that altar and his family watches him. He's setting the example to his family. I'm devoting myself to Jesus. I'm taking that authority again. I'm taking that place of leadership again. And then in verse 8, it just says that Rebecca's nurse, Deborah, whom Jacob grew up with, dies. She was like a second mom to Jacob. It's believed so because he grew up with her. And she dies. What a random verse. But I believe the Bible is trying to tell us something. Is that when you get back to that place where you're in the fullness of the will of God, life's problems don't go away. Life's pains, the day-to-day trials, even the extremes, the, the worst pain, a death in the family, those don't magically go away. We still have to face problems and trials and temptations. We don't just walk daisies and and strawberry shortcake road now. It's not that anymore when you're in the will of God in the perfect place of His will for your life. No, there's problems we have to face, but this is the difference. Now you have God on your side. And now you have God to lean on and give you the power to be able to overcome anything that faces you. This is a different Jacob we see here than we do in Genesis 34. He faces many problems in Genesis 34 and ends up just being in fear, crippled in fear. But now in this chapter he faces problems even if you look at verse 5 and God is with him. God is protecting him. God is shielding him. And lastly, look at verse 9 as we close with this verse. When he made that altar, when he fulfilled his vow from his youth, it says here, God appeared to Jacob again. When he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. Whenever you and I get off track at any moment, for any amount of time, when we make that U turn, when we repent, when we evaluate our lives, when we actually just get real with God and we make that step towards him, he is faithful to appear to us again. In a beautiful, Powerful way. Not in a condemning way, with open arms. And to bless you. And for you to walk in that reality again. Hand in hand with Jesus. Are you in Bethel tonight? Or are you in Shechem? And if you are in Shechem... What's holding you back from going to Bethel? Because God is waiting. This God is waiting. Our God is a God who waits for His people to turn back to Him. God didn't rub Jacob's sin in his face and say, Look how you messed up this time. This is one way too many, Jacob. He appears to him and He blesses him. He says, let's move on now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? That I'm not the one to make an emotional appeal at all. I'm not one to work emotion for the sake of a response. And to be honest, I don't believe every message needs a response. But there are some messages that require a response, there are some messages that demand a response in that moment, at that place. I believe there are other times where you should take that word and bring it home, but there are others where you have to respond right now because something can happen between now and you going back home that can lose that sense of responding urgently and immediately. And so just in this moment, as we're not rushing here, but as you're sitting in that place, and if you felt like that was for you, just to begin to call out to God in your own heart and saying, Lord, if I drifted, if I'm in Shechem right now, I need you to bring me back to Bethel. I don't have the power within myself to do it. And Lord, I need you to show me if there's idols in my life. I need you to ask yourself Are you walking in the fullness of the reality of the presence and power of God? I'm not saying that you, you feel God all the time. There's nothing in the Bible about feeling God all the time. But you just know in your heart that He's the love of your life. And you know that He's the delight of your soul. And you know if there's other things in your life that are competing with that. Just a few moments in that place. And maybe you are in Bethel. Would you ask God to keep you in Bethel? Keep me in that place, Lord, where my heart is tender towards you. Keep me in that place, Lord, where it's all about you, Jesus. Keep me in that place where when I look over and I see Shechem and it looks kind of tempting. Lord, keep me here with this altar before me, giving you day and night sacrifice, which is my life itself. Ask God to keep you in that place. He's faithful to do it. You and I have every right to ask God for more of Him. No need to rush tonight. Jesus said, My house shall be called the house of prayer. Offer that incense of prayer up to Him. As David prayed, Let my prayer be considered as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Keep me in that place, God. Keep me loving You, Jesus. Keep my heart I want to make a very unique call tonight. I'll be honest, I've never done this before. There was a snippet in that message concerning men of God, men to rise up. I'm going to make a general call in a minute, but I want to do something primarily. I want to do something first here. If you're married, if you're a father, even if you're a young man in this place, I'm going to call you in a moment. Because I would love for all of us in this house to pray for every man in this place. Because we're all in this fight together. We're all walking through this path together. We're walking on this narrow way with one another. And there is such an attack on men as well as women. But because of the leadership role, because of the influence that has been given unto man, Satan knows... That if I can get the head, I can get the rest. I'm going to make a call in a moment, but it's going to require you to humble yourself like Jacob. And I need you not to care about who you came with or who's here watching you. I want you to realize right now that this is between you and God. If you have sin in your life, if you have idolatry in your life, Not just that, but if you're discouraged, if there's a weight on your life, if there's pressure on your life, if you feel like you don't even have the power to overcome a certain sin or even have the desire to know God intimately, I'm asking you tonight to humble yourself before God because He is willing to give you that power tonight. He's willing to meet you in that place, but God cannot meet with somebody that's not willing to humble themselves. If you realize that in your life you have put things, you delight in things more than God, when God has called you for greater, God has called you for bigger, God has called you to Himself, God has something so unique for your life, but there are silly little things that you must get rid of first. He's willing to empower you to overcome those things. But you must humble yourself tonight, brothers. I'm calling you as a brother. I'm not calling as one who thinks he's greater. I'm in that same place. But it's going to require us to humble ourselves. If you're a man in this place, regardless of your status, regardless of your age, if you just need God to touch your life, I want you to come forward even right now as I'm speaking. To come forward right now because we're going to have this house, everybody in this place pray for you. Come to that place right now. Come forward if you're a man in this place. And show, make a statement to God, to your family, to everybody else. I'm going to live for God Almighty. begin to cry out to God, you don't need to wait for anybody, just get on your knees before Jesus and cry out to Him. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill me with your power, God. I want to leave a legacy for my family. I want to leave a legacy for my life. God, I don't have the talent. I don't have the abilities. But all I know is that you can give me your spirit. And that's what I need in this place. God, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Call upon God. Call upon him. And if you're not up here, if you're a wife, if you're a mother, if you're a friend, would you pray for these men right now? Pray for these men right now. Pray for your pastors. Pray for those that are in ministry. Call upon God. I'm going to stop speaking in a moment and let's lift this place up with our voices. God is in this place and He wants to answer our cry. Let's lift up our voices to Jesus. The Bible says that if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit... We put the things of the body to death. We will live. Listen, it's not in your own strength. Romans 8.13 says it's by the Spirit. Bring that sin to the cross tonight. Bring that sin before His feet and say, Lord, kill it. Get it out of me, Lord. Kill the complacency. Kill the pornography. Kill the idolatry. Kill everything in my life that's not of You, but I can't do it in my own strength, God. I need Your power in my life. Help me lead my home, God. Help me lead my kids. Let my kids see me on my knees. Let them see me in the word. Lord, I want to be a man of God. Keep praying. As these men are praying, I'm praying now and I'm calling everybody in this place. If you're in this place, man, woman, child, doesn't matter. If you're in this place and you need to get back to that first love, make that declaration tonight. Step out of your chairs tonight. Come forward if there's space. If there's not, turn around in your chair and just cry out to God. God is not just calling men tonight. He's calling everybody to come back to that place of loving Him. If you need to get on your knees, do that. But let's just all cry out to God. There are people right now that are praying for other people. But if you feel led to pray for your brother, if you feel led to pray for somebody, you can do that. Men with men, women with women. But just let's pray for one another. Let's leave this place changed. So if you feel a hand on your back, that's somebody praying for you.
2: Go ahead and uh, just stay on your feet. And uh, in this moment um, where our hearts are stirred, I want to just give you one last invitation because we put out a call to the men and then we sort of moved on. And uh, I want to make sure that we get to everybody. And we're not going to take much longer here. But listen, the hardest thing about Shechem is you don't always know when you're there. Everything in our world conspires to make us accept a reasonable, toothless, good enough Christianity. And God is calling us to something much, much better, deeper with him. And we can get so used to, so accepting of this place called Shechem, we don't even know there's more. So I want to just invite you in this last couple of minutes, if you let all this pass you by and you thought, I'm in a decent place Let the Lord just tell you, listen for his voice, maybe sing a little more. I mean, there's better, more that I have for you than what you've accepted. And so I want us to give just one more minute, one more what we call pregnant pause, to let the Lord speak before he releases us for the night. Would you close your eyes with me and listen, not for the whole room, but for your heart. Listen. Listen. I'm so grateful that Brother Daniel called for people to come to the front. And we won't do that now, but I'm going to ask you just to do this in your heart, that if you recognize that you're settling in a place you should not dwell, and he is calling you back to Bethel, I just want you to say a prayer in your heart to him decisively, I've heard you. Get me back there, Lord. I want to come home. I'm tired of this numb, cold, good enough place. I want to come alive. I want to be passionate again. Lord, we are so thankful that there is more, that this toothless, flavorless faith that is sold everywhere in our world is not as good as it gets. Thank you for revealing your heart to your people through your word today, for showing us that even if we're the ones who walked far from you, you're the one who calls us home because you love us. You are not a god who rejects the wayward, but you woo us back home. And thank you for who you are and how much you love us. Lord, many commitments were made tonight. Not out of emotion, but because we actually saw and heard you, and our hearts jumped in our chests. And we knew in that moment, that's what we want. That's where we belong. And that's where home is. So Holy Spirit of God, don't release your grip on us. Follow us out of this place and complete the journey. Our bags are packed. Don't let us stop till we come back. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and we are sure of it, that you love us. May you receive all the praise and glory in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.